So last Sunday we had a 55 plus lunch. It was a great time. I really enjoyed it, but I particularly liked uh, the testimony because Frank Fur told his sort of his life story, and it was just a great Frank's a great storyteller, as you know, Frank. And it was just a, an amazing thing to listen how the Lord had led him through his years. And and here's the phrase that Frank used to sort of drive his story: this quest that he had from early on to answer the question, "Who am I?" Who am I? And all through the different things of life, this question kept coming uh, back to Frank and drove him along, who am I? It's an essential question. So how do we figure that out? How do we figure out our core identity? Inside of our hearts, we want to know this, we want to figure it out, but not only just to know who we are, but here's what we understand. We know that the decisions we make and the actions we take grow out of who we understand ourselves to be, right? Who we understand ourselves to be will determine how we respond to things, how we initiate things, how we speak, how we act, how we live, what we expect. All of these things grow out of our core understanding of who we are. That's why identity politics is such a hot and powerful topic all the time because it deals with our deepest feelings, our deepest sense of what is right and what is wrong and who we are and what we should do, how people should treat us, all of these things. Now, last week, we began to look at, at the prologue or the beginning part, the introductory part of the Gospel of John. But now this week, we're going to get into the ministry of Jesus proper and how he begins uh, to walk upon earth and show us who he is. And John, the Gospel writer, is going to keep asking us, do you believe these testimonies about who Jesus is. And so we're going to start with John the Baptist's ministry, because that's really where the ministry of Jesus began, with John's testimony. Now, a couple of scholars as I was reading this pointed something really out, interesting out about this portion of Scripture we're going to read. And it's because they go, John the Baptist is going to be asked, who are you? And why do you do the things that you're doing? That's kind of what we're aiming at, isn't it? Who are we and why do we do the things that we do? And here's what's important. John takes his identity from his relationship with Jesus. John takes his identity, he's defined by his relationship with Jesus. And I think that that's a pretty good example for us. And so what I, what I want to suggest to us today is simply this statement. Who we are depends on who Jesus is, and what we do depends on who we are. Right? Who I am depends on who Jesus is and my relationship with him. And my relationship with Jesus, as it forms my identity, will dictate the choices that I make the practices that I carry out. Who we are depends on who Jesus is, and what we do depends on who we are. We know that, right? Because we sometimes do things that are out of character. And people might say things to us like, why did you do that? I mean, it's just not you. Have you heard that phrase? Maybe you're completely consistent in your life and nobody's ever said that to you. But people say, that's just not who you are, Alan. Uh, yeah. So we understand this, that who we are 
determines what we do. It forms our character. So let's take a look at, at who we are depending on who he is. So John defines himself, his identity, in relationship with Jesus, and so should we. Let's read the passage of Scripture we're going to look at. John chapter 19, chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. Now, this was John's testimony, right? This is the, remember, I said that the whole Gospel of John, we can look at it as a court case. And you are the jury, and witnesses are going to come forward and give testimony about who they believe that Jesus is, right? And so, this is John the Baptist, not the guy that wrote this Gospel, John, that was the Apostle John, but John the Baptist, okay? Now, this is John the Baptist's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask who he was. Who are you? And he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. Then they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Well, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Finally, they said, then who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling out in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Make straight the way for the Lord. So it begins this whole thing where the Jewish leaders began to ask John the Baptist who he is. Now, why did they do that? Well, here's the thing. You see, the deal was that the Jewish people, they had some expectations about how God was going to deliver them. They'd been living under the, the oppression of Rome for quite some time. They were pretty much fed up with this. And they knew that God had this, had this promise that he would always deliver his people. And that there would be signs to show when God was going to deliver them and how God was going to deliver them. They had some expectations based in the Old Testament of how this is going to unfold. And at the time of Jesus, because they were pretty much fed up with this whole Roman thing, the, the expectation that God was going to do something was red hot. And there were all kinds of people out there claiming to be the Messiah, and they'd get little followers, and the Rome would crush them, and this sort of thing. And so, and so here, as far as they were concerned, here's another guy doing some crazy stuff out there in the wilderness. We better go and check out who he is, what he's about. We're the leaders of the nation. We need to know these things. So they're interested, but not interested enough to go themselves. They sent emissaries out. Go and find out about this John the Baptist. And so John begins, I'm not the Messiah. Okay, that was the fundamental question. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that God the Father of Israel is going to send to rescue his people? Are you the one that we've been waiting for, the one that we have been expecting? And John says right at the top, listen, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the chosen one. I'm not the one that's going to lead us up and throw Rome off of our necks. Okay, then. If you're not the Messiah, then are you Elijah? Well, that's kind of a weird question because Elijah the prophet was like, you know, 850 years before, before this time. So what's this whole thing about are you the Messiah? Well, if you go to the very last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and you take a look in chapter 4 towards the very end, there's some words of judgment, and then Malachi from God sets up this expectation of what's going to happen. God says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah. Okay, so he'd been dead for 800 years. I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes 
this great and dreadful day when Israel is going to be free again. And he will turn the hearts of the parents of their children and the hearts of their children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So this is what they expected. They expected that before God did the big move, a prophet like Elijah was going to come and prepare the way. It's not talking about the reincarnation of Elijah. It's talking about this prophetic act like Elijah to turn people around. And John says, no, no, I'm not Elijah. Now, being as how you're all biblical scholars, you'll immediately say, hang on a minute. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus says that John the Baptist is Elijah. What's going on here? How does, this, how does this happen? How does this set up? How come Elijah? And not only that, but some scholars will tell you that Elijah even, you know, he kind of acted, John the Baptist kind of acted like Elijah. He dressed like him, just kind of like this. So what's going on? Well, what's happening is, is that John the Baptist is saying, look, you're expecting this Elijah prophet to come and all of this kind of wrath is going to take place and God's going to bring up this total destruction. I'm not, I'm not that kind of Elijah. But Jesus is saying, This figure of Elijah, the one who would come before the Messiah came, the one who would act as the spokesperson of God prophetically, that was John the Baptist. And he is a figure of Elijah. So I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah, you know, come back, you know, to do all this wrath of God kind of thing. Well, are you then the prophet? Well, who's the prophet? Well, you've got to kind of know your Old Testament for that too, because Moses... Back in Deuteronomy chapter 18, God says that, listen, the day is going to come when I'm going to raise up for you a prophet like Moses. And he will lead you out of the wilderness again. It's kind of the implication of that. And so they're asking you, okay, well, if you're not the Messiah and you're not Elijah, are you, are you Moses, this, this Moses figure that's come back to, to lead us out? And he says, no, I am not Moses either. You see, all of these identities were kind of standalone identities, weren't they? The Messiah, standalone identity. Elijah, standalone identity. The prophet, standalone identity. John says, no, forget about all of those kind of things. Let me tell you who I am. My identity is going to be defined by relationship with Jesus. And I'm just a voice. I'm simply a witness giving testimony as to who Jesus is. I'm the one who's come to testify about him. That's all I am. I'm just a voice. Now, think about this for a minute. John could have said all kinds of things about himself. I mean, if you want to get some background on John, go to the the Gospel of Luke. John could have said, listen, I'm the product of a miracle. Because my mother was barren, and then when she was way, 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 way old, then, too old to have children, then an angel came and told me I was going to be born. As a matter of fact, there's another thing I can say about me. My birth was foretold by an angel. As a matter of fact, I'm so special that God himself told my mom and dad to give me my name. He He could have said that. He could have said, listen, I'm born of a distinguished priestly family. I'm kind of like a double priest because both my dad and my mom are descendants of Aaron. And so, you know, I'm, I'm this, this, my dad even got to serve in the temple one time. He could have said, I'm a prophet. 
I'm an influencer like you wouldn't believe because I've got thousands of people coming out of the towns or coming out of the cities just to come and hear what I have to say and to let me back. I'm, I'm an incredible prophet. I am an influencer. He could have said, you know what I am? I'm a man who in the strength of God will speak against Rome and the governors and I will even condemn them and judge them and bring them to account for the wrong that they're doing as he did to Herod. He could have said all of that stuff. I mean, it's phenomenal credentials that he has. But he said, you know what? That stuff doesn't matter. What matters is my relationship with this Jesus guy. And I'm a voice. My identity is one who is called to give testimony about who Jesus is and all that he is doing. And that's my proposal to us today. There are identity, no matter, we can say all kinds of things about ourselves. We can say all kinds of good things about ourselves, and some of us can say all kinds of bad things about ourselves. And these things, we can begin to choose one or the other, and we can say that that's core my identity. No, 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 no. Our core identity is our relationship with Jesus. It is the bedrock of who we are. It's the fundamental question of who I am. It's kind of like the roots of a tree out of which all of the sustenance and out of which all of the branches and all of the fruit grows is our identity in our relationship with Jesus. So let's read on and see who John says, this is who Jesus is, and as a result of that, this is who we are. And we can sit in judgment of this, because it's a trial. It's a court case, and you're the jury. Is Jesus truly this person? Is John the Baptist speaking the truth about Jesus? If Jesus is X, then that means we are Y. All right, so let's take a look again. We'll pick it up in verse 23 where we left off. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees, okay, the, the, the Official guys from the rulers, the scribes, they don't ask the question. Now the Pharisees, they understand that what we do grows out of who we are. And so the Pharisees sent, asked them this question. Why are you doing what you're doing then? Why do you baptize if you're not the Messiah and you're not Elijah and you're not the prophet? Why are you acting this way? Because what we do comes out of who we are. I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He's the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards me and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptized with water was so that Israel, so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain upon him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirits came down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen, and I testify. I'm a witness. I've seen it. I'm a witness, and I'm telling you my testimony is, this is God's chosen one. 
All right, so who does John the Baptist give testimony as to who Jesus is that drives the things that he does? The first thing he says is that Jesus is the Lord. That Jesus is, in fact, God. Well, how do you get that, Alan? I don't see that. Well, he quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. The prophet Isaiah. And look at what it says. This is who he says I am, right? The voice of one calling in the wilderness, right? So that's what he's doing. He says, I'm doing Isaiah thing. I'm the voice of one in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley should be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground should be made level. The rugged place is the plain. And the glory, John's big word, remember we said that from introduction. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now here's what you need to understand. When Isaiah gave that prophecy... The one who comes to make everything straight, the one who comes to make everything, all the hills down the valleys that are up, that is Yahweh. That's who he's talking about. He's talking about God. And so when John says, listen, what I am, I'm this voice that's proclaiming that the Lord is coming, that God is coming. I'm giving testimony of this. And so even though it's not yet fully developed, but very soon on here in John is that Jesus is God. He's the Lord. He's the one that we've been expecting. He's the one that's going to come and make things right. And of course, John goes on and says another thing later on there in verse 13. He says, listen, the one who comes after me is greater than me because he was before me. That's tying back to how the gospel opened up. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He came before me. He came in the beginning. So John's first testimony is, Jesus is God, the Lord Almighty. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? That's the testimony. You're the jury. Do you believe it? Because if you do believe it, then who are we? So he is the Lord. So we are what? We are subjects of Jesus. We're the one who submits to Jesus Christ. We're the ones who live in obedience to his teaching. We're the ones who are dependent upon his protection and his provision because he is the Lord God Almighty. And if I believe that that's who Jesus is, then I'm just a subject of Jesus, the Lord God, obedient and dependent upon him. John's not finished. Second thing he says about him. Verse 27, he says, you know what? He is worthy of more than devotion. I can't can't properly capture the right phrases. That's the best I could come up with. But it's this whole thing where, where John says, listen, there's one that stands among you. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Well, that's what's that all about. There was some of the Jewish traditions that said that undoing somebody's sandals, taking somebody's shoes off, is so humiliating that they weren't even allowed to command a slave to do it. It's so humiliating, it's so below, that no human being is that far above even a slave. You can't make a slave take your shoes off. 
But in that tradition, you know who did take shoes off? Devotees of rabbis, students of rabbis, disciples of rabbis. And they didn't do it because they were commanded to. They did it as an act of devotion. It was an act of saying, I love you so much. I'm so devoted to you. I desire to follow your teaching and listen so much that I, I'm willing to take a position that's even lower than the lowest slave. Let me remove your sandals. John says, Jesus is so high that even though we would be completely devoted to him, even our greatest act of humble devotion is less than what he deserves. It's less than what he deserves. That's who Jesus is. He is so great. Well, do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is such a person that our highest act of devotion, our highest, most humble thing that we could possibly do, that's, that's not worthy of Jesus? Well, if you believe it, then what does that make us? Well, in one sense, it makes us less than the status of a slave. It makes us recognize that Jesus is so much higher than that. And it also calls upon us to be disciples who are so devoted to Jesus that we're willing to do what even the lowest slave would not do. We are willing to give complete and absolute devotion to him. We are willing and ready to show our devotion and love for him in worship. We will worship him. Listen, we are doing God a favor when we come to worship him. I remember years ago, I was talking to, to Jason Wood, and Jason was, was talking about a little encounter that he had with Jesus, and uh, he was talking about his schedule and his life because he was very busy and so on, and, and he found himself saying to God, you know, God, okay, I'm going I'm to make time for you every day. And it's like the Holy Spirit said to him, oh, you make time for me. You make time on your busy schedule for me. This is kind of what John's getting at. He's saying that, listen, that it, 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 we're not doing God any favor. Our greatest act of devotion is less than what God deserves. And yet in his mercy and in his wondrous love for us, God says, I'm going to favor you with my delight. I'm going to dwell within your praises. I'm going to accept your sacrifice of praise. I am, in fact, going to delight in the love that you show me. I mean, we sing a song about this, don't we? Who am I that the greatest king, the highest king, would welcome me? This is, this is this great Jesus that we have. On one score, he's God Almighty. He's higher than we deserve to be in his presence and all of those things. And so it's kind of embarrassing. This is the best I can offer you, Jesus. And I know you're worthy more than this. But Jesus just says, I, I welcome and I delight in your devotion. Because I'm devoted to you as well. So if Jesus is one of whom we're not worthy to untie his sandals, he's the object and the person of our devotion who welcomes our praise because he is so gracious. It goes on. What else is John's testimony? John's testimony is, look, you are the lamb of God. Verse 29, oh man. We could spend like five sermons on this, so settle in. Just kidding. 
It's such, a, it's such a profound saying. It's a little bit difficult to exactly nail down what, what John is writing about because uh, it, the, this little particular phrase, the Lamb of God, it only appears in the Gospel of John. So lots of times you can kind of spread out, well, what does he mean by that? You can look at other places and so on, but, but we're kind of limited to... to, to so this little phrase here. So what in the world is he talking about? Well, I mean, if you read the commentaries, there is page after page after page after page after page after page. I know, because I read them. After page about who, what John means by this. And they argue back and forth because it's such a profound meaning. Some guys say, listen, what this is, is it goes back to Genesis chapter 22. You remember Genesis chapter 22? Genesis chapter 22 is the story of Abraham taking his son Isaac and he's going to sacrifice him, right? But what we've heard, in the last couple of weeks this story but what does God do he provides a lamb instead of his son Isaac and some people say that listen this is this is what he's doing he's going back to Genesis chapter 22 and he's saying that God Jesus is the provided sacrificial lamb to make covenant with God and that's what it means guys say no 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 it can't be that because this and the other others say no 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 don't you understand that the story of Exodus, the story of Israel being delivered out of Egypt from slavery, that's kind of the core story that, that John is going to build upon, and they have arguments for that. And so it's talking actually about Exodus chapter 12. And it's talking about the Passover lamb. That when this lamb is sacrificed, the angel of death passes over the people who trust in its blood. And that's what it's talking about. It's about Jesus being the Passover lamb and and death passing over us because his blood was shed. Another guy said, no, 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 it's it's different than that. It's Leviticus chapter 1 verse 4. Because in Leviticus chapter 1 verse 4, it talks about the daily offering for sin. And this is God, John saying that, listen, Jesus every day covers your sin. Every day he washes away your sin. Every day he takes care of you so you do not have to live in fear and trepidation, but you can live in freedom. And it's the, it's the Levitical lamb that it's talking about. Other guys say, no, 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 it's not that at all. John's really built in Isaiah. And he's talking about Isaiah chapter 53, about the lamb who was led to slaughter to take away the sins of the world. And they argue back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then, more recently, I, I, think, I think they're onto something. Beasley Murray says this, and so does um, Rick Watts. He says, listen, you've you got to understand, think about who John is. And think about how he talked about Jesus. Now, around that time, there were some Jewish writings that we don't have in our, in our Bible. Run the next slide, we'll see. It's a first Enoch and a testament of Joseph. These are Jewish writings. They're not in our Bible, but they were very influential at the time of Jesus. That's what, that's what Jewish people were kind of thinking and writing about. And in those writings, there is a warrior lamb. A warrior lamb that would come and stamp out sin that would come and defeat and tromp down evil and so yeah he's going to take away the sin of the world all right he's going to wipe those out baby they are going to be gone and it's this warrior lamb that John's talking about because I mean let's face it John he doesn't come across as the most cuddly guy does he and so this kind of fits his, his testimony that, listen, here's the one, here's this Jesus, here's the warrior lamb that's going to stomp out sin. And we see that the Gospel of John, you go over into Revelation chapter 5. And John says, yeah, let's think about this warrior lamb. He's the lion of Judah who looked like a lamb who was slain. 
And so can I say, look, this is what John had to do in mind, but, but Jesus is going to take away the sin of the world in a different way. Well, how do you decide? Easy. You take them all. I think that what John is doing, he's dragging that whole Old Testament creative meaning. He's pulling that whole thing into the meaning of who Jesus is. He is all of these things. He's the one who sacrificed in our place. He's the one who leads us out of slavery to sin. He's the one who daily gives us forgiveness of our sin each time. He is the one who was slaughtered for my case. He is the warrior lamb who stomped out the evil one by dying himself rather than killing everyone else. Do you believe it? You're the jury. Do you believe it? And, and, and if you believe that that's who Jesus is, then who are we? And how do we respond to that? Well, it means that we are sinners in need of the blood of the Lamb to give us forgiveness. And we are the ones who get it. We're the ones who have forgiveness for our sin. It means that we are a people who are led out of slavery to sin. And that whole forgiveness thing, that is really cool. But you know what's even cooler? Is that we are people who get to live in freedom from the control of sin. Those addictions, those tendencies, those, those, that pulling away from God. We don't have to live in that. We can live not in the defeat of sin, but in the forgiveness of life and Christ. Because we've been led out of the control and slavery to sin. And we live as free people in Jesus. Well, John's not finished. He said, let me tell you who else Jesus is. I want to give you testimony. I want to give testimony that Jesus is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. That Jesus is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. And John said, listen, I didn't know who he was, but God told me that the one that I see the Spirit come and descend upon and stay with him, he's the one. And, and he's going to, I baptize with water, but this guy is going to baptize. He's going to immerse you in the being and the presence and the power of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that makes God dwell within you and amongst you because he will baptize you in the Spirit. That's the testimony. You're the jury. Do you believe it? Do you really believe that Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit? That Jesus will still come and dwell within you as the Holy Spirit and fill you up? Or do you believe it? Because if you believe it, then how do we live? Then who are we? We are the people of the Holy Spirit. We are Spirit-filled people. And the Holy Spirit of God is forming us into the image and into the character of Jesus. We are the people of the Spirit who are led by the Holy Spirit. Who says we keep in step with the Spirit. That's military language. That means that the Spirit's going to take us into spiritual war and we're going to defeat those forces of darkness be the light in the darkness like we talked about last week that we are the people of the spirit that we're going to take you to these difficult places but he's going to empower you to live like Jesus in the midst of hardship because it's the Holy Spirit who does it and not us if we believe it then we believe that Jesus has gifted each one of us with a particular spirit empowered ability to carry out the life-changing ministry that he's called us to. That we believe that this part of us, that we are as spirit-gifted, is that we become a part of the body of Christ and we become an essential member of that body. 
In our Bible study, we're reading a Phil, Phil Piazza, got the wrong guy. Francis Chan's book, The Forgotten God, is about the Holy Spirit. He said, listen, do you understand that, that this whole thing about being, having this, these spiritual gifts and the spirit dwelling within you and you being part of the body, that you are as essential to the church as your mouth is to your body? Think about that for a minute. You can't open your mouth. That body's not doing very well. You've got to use intravenous. You see, if we believe that Jesus is the baptized with the Spirit, then he is saying, I'm going to give you this gift and I'm going to make you essential to the Grand Prairie Church of Christ. And if you're not there and you're not serving and you're not allowing me to flow through you, that body will starve. That body will be weak. That body will not accomplish what I have called it to do. Jesus is the baptizer of the Spirit. Do you believe that? Because if you do, that's who we are. And that's what we do. Well, this last one, he says, number five. He ends up, he is the chosen one or the son of God. Different translations have different words because there's a bit of a a textual issue there. But in John's mouth, it means basically the same thing. It means that Jesus is the one who is sent by God to bring about new creation. That Jesus is the one who is chosen and anointed by the Father to save the world. That he is the climax of all history and the hope of all creation. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's who he is? The chosen one, the son of God, bringing about the new creation. Because if you believe it, then who are we? We are people who are saved by the very son of God. We are a people who have become the children of God and gained life by living within him in submissive, blessed relationship with God the Father himself. You see, if we believe these things of John's witness about who Jesus is, then it tells us who we are, if we believe it, if we really believe it. And if we really believe it, then what we do depends on who we are, doesn't it? And so if we take that that's who Jesus is and that's who we are, then there are commands and indications of the things that we should do. The Pharisees come and they say, listen, why are you doing what you're doing? Because obviously, you know, who you are is determining what you do, this witnessing thing. Why are you doing it? So who are we and what, how do we live? Well, what have we seen? We have seen that we are obedient subjects. Serving the living God. Showing our love for God by obedience to his commands, as John will tell us later. We are devoted, worshipping servants of the Most High God who offer up our meager worship as best as we can. And in his mercy and in his love, God delights in our praise. We are victorious, forgiven people, no longer slaves to sin, but free to live abundant lives. We are a people of the Holy Spirit who live in power and under his leadership. And we are children of God and citizens of new creation, ones who belong to the chosen one who was from the very beginning and brought about this new creation in some measure, through you and through me. You know what's interesting? Well, it's quite a few things that I find interesting. Hopefully they're interesting to you too, I look. Twice, 
John the Baptist says, I don't know who he was. I don't know who he was. Now, what's weird, of course, is that John the Baptist was what relation to Jesus? Cousin. He was Jesus' cousin. So you can be sure that he kind of knew who Jesus was. He knew he was his cousin. And he knew there was something different about him, but I didn't really know who he was. But he begins to learn and give testimony to who Jesus is. And you know what I got thinking? I got wondering if I know Jesus like I know my cousin. I kind of know who they are. I think I'd maybe recognize at least half of them on the street. I've only got like 10 of them, so you think I'd know more. You Mennonite guys, I don't know how you, you can say you know your cousin. <laughs> yeah, I've got 48 of them, but anyway. But he kind of knew, knew them, you know. But he didn't really know who Jesus was. And sometimes I wonder, do I know Jesus like I know a cousin? I've got a bit of a sense of, of who he is. Like he's someone special and I guess he's God. And... But do I know him enough on these claims to believe it, to allow that to form who I am, to give me my identity to put all these other identities that I could claim so far in the background, they're not even relevant. Because this is what I believe about Jesus that I've come to know. So, you know, when you have a court case, have you ever been on a jury? Miserable experience, they give you terrible food. And then you go into a back room and you deliberate. And decide what you believe about the person on trial. What do you believe about them? Are they guilty or not guilty? So you've got, you know, five work days ahead of you, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And you've got five statements of testimony from John the Baptist saying, do you believe that? Do you believe it so much that you begin to allow it to form your identity and it forms your identity so much that you begin to live in this way? So I want to invite you to deliberate this week. To take one of these things per day. And say, Lord, do I, do I just know you like my cousin? Or do I really believe this? Do I believe this to the degree that it forms my identity? And it forms my identity to the degree that it dictates how I live today. Testimony's there. You're the jury. Do you believe it? Because if you do, if you really do, if I really do, then I'll live it. Almighty God, this stuff is so deep and so rich, we, we just kind of skim the topic all the time. But this whole, this whole thing, Jesus, about who you are, it's so, it's so easy to know you like we know our cousins. Yeah, you know, know them a little bit, know this about them, know this about them, know that about them, but maybe don't know them well enough that it begins to influence who I am. 
Jesus, as we consider these things, it's, it's, it's kind of easy to say, oh yeah, I believe that. But if I look at the evidence of my life, about how I live and how I define myself, this may be a bit of a call to believe in a different way. And so I pray, Father, as we go through this next week, that by your Holy Spirit, in whom we are baptized by Jesus, our understanding of who you are, Jesus, and therefore who we are, will deepen. And therefore what we do might change. We pray through Christ. Amen.